Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, so Matt, we were driving through the country the other day, and Ashley turns to Michael and goes, look over there in that field. Those are summer cows over there. And he goes, summer cows? And she's like, yeah, some are black, some are brown, (laughs) some are spotted. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is graveyard tales <laughs> all right everybody here we are again matt how you doing tonight brother <laughs> pretty good man good deal good deal so i gotta tell you something but before we do that let's do a little bit of housekeeping here um want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can find a list of shows that we're associated with. Happy to be associated with the Podbelly Network. And I promise you, you're going to find something on there you like. So go check them out at podbelly.com. We also want to thank tonight's sponsor, HelloFresh. And we'll talk more about them coming up. While you're online looking up podbelly.com, also go over to patreon.com slash graveyard tales and sign up to become a patron. We've got multiple different levels. Um, We try to record and post one bonus episode every week. Even on our dark weeks on the main episode, you'll get a bonus episode. So go over there and check it out. Our $10 a month, they get ad-free audio of the main episodes. They get video versions of the main episodes. And they get video and audio versions of the bonus episodes. So go over there and check it out. Sign up one, five or 10. There's going to be a level for you and you're going to get some extra graveyard tailsy stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Matt, we um, we decided that this last weekend we were going to rent a small cabin because Michael has been begging for like six months to go spend time at a cabin in the country again, which I'm glad he loves doing that because so do I. It's yeah, great. You get out there. There's no Wi-Fi. You know, you're disconnected. And mainly we played games and hung out as a family and just had fun and you know, went out to a state park and all that. But it's pitch black out there. Now, mm-hmm. this this time it was basically on the edge of a farm um, where the time before that. Uh, well, a few times before that, we've been out in the woods and you remember me telling you about the, the one tiny cabin where that weird black dog came up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, I remember. So that was out in the woods. This one basically on the edge of a farm. And so you had cows on one side kind of way away. And then right next to us was a farm that had like six horses. So every day you'd go sit out there, watch the horses do their thing and all that. Well, they had a fenced in yard 
then it went to bigger field, but little fenced-in yard for the dogs. Well, it only had cattle wire up, so like chicken mm-hmm. wire, but a lot bigger holes. Yep, yep. So when I took the dogs out at night, I would go out with a flashlight, just make sure no critters had gotten into the yard that either they're going to try to chase or are going to try to chase them, right? So I go out there with my flashlight, scan the yard. There's nothing. I let the dogs out. And all of a sudden, Henry starts going, and like slow walking toward the fence. I'm like, dude, come on. Because I had just scanned and there wasn't anything there. So I go walking out to the edge of the field with him. I'm got the flashlight down on my feet, though, so I don't step in a hole. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, from maybe eight, ten feet away from me, I hear, I bout crapped. My flashlight comes up. It was a giant horse. black horse. And I, and shortly, you know, the next day after that happened, I texted you and I said, I got to tell you this story. Uh, yeah. I knew the horses were there, but it was pitch black outside. I couldn't see anything. It was a dark black horse. Yeah. So it, it blended in. I couldn't couldn't see it. And apparently it had kind of walked up after I did a scan. So it was just on the other side of this fence. And if you've ever heard a horse, when you can't see it, do that. Uh-huh. thing yeah. that it sounds way deeper than what a horse would do especially oh, yeah. when it's like yeah. 10 30 at night so uh-huh. i i about had to change my pants but i got a good uh, adrenaline <laughs> spike from that so oh god yes man <laughs> that, yeah that would have gotten me bad yeah yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know <laughs> what was going on at first i thought what kind of uh small texas town creature do i have running at me now um we were out in gilmer i probably most people don't know gilmer but it's a cool little small town out in east texas but anyway had to tell you my um spooky horse story that really wasn't spooky it was just me being a little jumpy yeah All right, so let's take a second and talk about one of our longtime sponsors, HelloFresh. You've heard us talk about them before, but Matt and I love them. They are a meal kit delivery service that will deliver fresh food right to your doorstep without having to do anything. And you get with HelloFresh farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes, like I said, delivered to your doorstep. You can skip trips to the grocery store, and you can count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And that's the reason it's America's number one meal kit. And it's also the reason that Matt and I love them. They take the hassle out of mealtime. And this this spring, you can get these pre-portioned ingredients delivered for easy-to-prepare recipes. You can skip those checkout lines and it's nice outside so why do you want to spend your time in a grocery store just get online order you some HelloFresh and you can enjoy being outside and just have the meals show up to your door and you can spend less time in the kitchen with quick and easy meals like HelloFresh's fast and fresh pineapple chicken tacos or falafel power bowls which are ready in 15 minutes or less yeah and I mean you 
you would be the hit of Taco Tuesday. I I promise you. Mm-hmm. And and it doesn't matter if you're not a pro in the kitchen. I mean, the these foolproof recipes, you they're so easy to follow. My kids, they love HelloFresh because of that. Right. Because they take over. I mean, Amanda and I, a lot of times we get the night off. You know, the kids they 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 decide what which meal we're gonna have, and man, they're at it. And that mm-hmm. that recipe card, I mean, it, it's so easy to follow. I mean, trust me, if my kids can cook a delicious meal with HelloFresh, so can you. <laughs> and, right. and and it beyond beyond all the benefits that you get with the additional family time, you're adding a new component to family dinners. You're saving money. Right. You're, you're saving money, especially if, if you know, you're like me. You got so many kids, you you don't want to eat out. It's cost you an arm and a leg. No joke. HelloFresh ma- makes it possible to to feed restaurant restaurant quality food to your whole family for a lot less money and and a lot more fun. That's right. And if if like Matt, you have your kids do it, you can sit with your feet up and enjoy <laughs> being outside with a cocktail while they're cooking. So think of it that way. It's easy. So if you would like to order you some HelloFresh and, and get on this train like Matt and I and love it as much as we do and our families do, all you've got to do is go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard50. That's graveyard five zero and use our code GRAVEYARD50 and you'll get 50% off plus your first box ships for free. That's right. Just go to HelloFresh.com slash GRAVEYARD50 and use our code GRAVEYARD50 for 50% off plus your first box ships free. That's all I got, Matt. So why don't you tell us what are we talking about tonight, brother? Okay, so tonight we're gonna we're gonna look at another cryptid, and this one is not as mythical as some cryptids are, um, but it's it's nonetheless interesting because there's a really good chance that this cryptid was a real animal. Yeah, high probability, and we we just don't have the evidence. To prove it yet, but um, but thanks to George Wilhelm Steller, we have a very detailed description of this animal, and that is the Steller's sea ape. Mm-hmm. Now I know what everybody's thinking when you hear the sea ape. You immediately think of like the, there's a gorilla out there swimming around. He's got on some speedos, you know, wearing <laughs> some shades. It's the sea ape, you know, he's surfing. Or they just picture me (laughs) out there floating around in the ocean. Look at that hairy jerk. (laughs) It's not quite that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But it it is pretty cool. And I think you're, uh, you'll find it uh, interesting what Adam and I have to say uh, about uh, our our theories Mm. on what the stellar sea ape uh, really, really is or was. So. Yeah, we were talking about it before um, 
the mics went hot and i think we i think we pretty much figured out the mystery matt i think we oh yeah yeah we got we got this one we are <laughs> we're genii it's the the plural of genius so. or or genies we're, genies we're, we're genies that's it genies in bikinis and so <laughs> As we always say, go check our sources. You can find them down in the bottom of the show notes. You can continue the research if it interests you that much. Or, I mean, you know, just see where we got our information and get the original document of that information. Um, but first, like Matt said, we need to look at George Wilhelm Steller, since this is the dude that he sainted it and he wrote about it. So... <laughs> We got to look at the dude who sainted it. Um, now, he was born March 10th in 1709 in Bavaria. He died November 14th, 1746. So he wasn't an old man. No, he was a young, young guy. Yeah, young dude. Um, but that just shows you how long ago this was. So some of this information is going to make more sense when you keep the thought in it was the early 1700s yeah. early to mid 1700s when all this was going down now uh, it says german born zoologist and botanist wilhelm steller served as a naturalist aboard the ship saint peter during the years 1741 to 1742 as part of the great northern expedition which aimed to map a northern sea route from russia to north america now, during that expedition, while stranded on what is today called Bering Island, Steller sighted a number of animals not previously known to science. Included among them was a large aquatic mammal known as Steller Sea Cow, or Hydrodomalus gigas, which was hunted to extinction within a few decades following Steller's report. So, you're like, okay. Well, you're talking about a C8, but you're talking about a sea cow. I don't understand. Well, let's look at what the sea cow is real quick. The stellar sea cow was a large, very large aquatic mammal that's now extinct that once inhabited nearshore areas of the Com Commodore Islands in the Bering Sea. Stellar sea cows were wiped out by hunters in the 18th century, less than 30 years after they were first discovered by Arctic explorers. Today, the term sea cow is sometimes used to refer to other um, Cyrenians, namely the manatee and the dugong. So the stellar sea cow was a giant, like larger than a dugong is now right, manatee right. type creature. And it lived in the cold waters in the Bering Sea. Yeah. So it's it's amazing. You know what? What's curious to me about the the stellar sea cow is it it doesn't it sound like almost a prehistoric animal? Yeah, yeah. You know that was still around in the 1700s because you you think about the period that gave rise to uh, woolly mammoths mm -hmm, and saber toothed mm -hmm. tigers. These are larger slightly varied um, animals, which we have today. Correct. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, you know, a, a, a giant hairy pachyderm, 
you know, a, a, a really, really large predatory cat. We've still got those. Yeah. Yep. And we still have manatees and dugongs. So this one was just a lot larger right. and was native to um, icy cold waters. Right. And, you know, and which, you're right. Which is unusual. Yeah. You're right. I think it, it points to a holdover population from a prior epoch or something like that. And uh, we've discussed several cryptids that could be just that. Mm -hmm. And he proved the existence of what, I mean, okay, look, if he had not, if he was not a naturalist and he had not gotten so much information on the stellar sea cow, Prior to its extinction, if somebody came to you and said, I saw what looked like a dugong, but one and a half times as big, and it was up near Alaska, mm -hmm. you'd go, what? What is wrong with you? You're seeing sea monsters now? Yeah. Yeah. So think about that. Uh, also, when we start talking about the sea ape is... Without his information, we would have thought the stellar sea cow was just a figment of somebody's imagination that the the native population of Alaska was just making up a story like people think about some of these other creatures like Bigfoot or or, you know, the the Kraken and stuff like that. We're just like, Alf, these are people that don't know as much about science as we do, and they're just making stuff up. Mm -hmm. But we've got yep. a naturalist and zoologist who proved the existence of this giant dugong. Yeah. So yeah. I, I I like that you brought that up because it does. It fits in with other episodes we've done, and it, it gives a little bit of credence to this sea ape that we're going to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get back to Stellar. Now, Stellar's early education took place in the Bavarian town of Winsheim probably said that wrong, uh, where he was born. Between 1729 and 1734, he attended several universities, including the University of Wittenberg and the University of Hale. Now, his studies focused on theology, medicine, and the natural sciences, including botany. In 1734, he traveled to Berlin, where he earned his certification in botany, and then he joined the Russian army, serving as a surgeon. Now, in the winter of 1734, after he arrived at St. Petersburg, Steller left the army and took a post as a physician for the Archbishop of uh, Nov Novgorod. Um, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not either. I'm looking at that going, yeah, no way. <laughs> well, I'll give it a shot. It, it's like Feofan Prokopovich or something. There you go. Um, again, probably messed that up, but. That's the best I got. Um, now, while in St. Petersburg, Steller met this German naturalist and explorer, Daniel Gottlieb Messerschmitt. And he was one of the first naturalists. John Jacob Jingle Messerschmitt. <laughs> <laughs> His name is mine. Um, he was the first naturalist to maintain journals of his travels and observations. So pretty well known for that. So Steller admired Messerschmitt's work, and 
he heard that there was going to be a possible Russian expedition to Arctic seas in the Far East. So in 1737, two years after Messerschmitt's death, this is what I was telling you, Matt, before we started uh, recording. Two years after Messerschmitt's death, Steller married Messerschmitt's widow, Brigitte Messerschmitt. And I, I was like, man, that's cold-blooded. You, you look up to this dude and everything, and then he dies, and you're like, hey, Miss Messerschmitt, I got a ring for you. I I kind of do the same thing you're your late husband did you want to i it just seems cold yeah. cold-blooded to me yeah what is what is the old saying um oh uh what what is the uh don't crap too close to the house <laughs> yeah that's one of them <laughs> uh it's the uh oh the the imitation Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. he's got... <laughs> yeah. I, he's got I'm a, I will imitate your husband because I respected his work so much. Right, right. That so I will just... <laughs> in order to fully imitate him, we need to get married. Oh. Well, <laughs> the same year that he uh, married uh, Mrs. Messerschmidt, Steller was given an appointment in natural history with the Imperial Academy of Sciences, and he was accepted for the Great Northern Expedition, the one that he had heard about a few years before. Well, he departed for Kamchatka Peninsula, which was located in far eastern Russia in January the following year. Now, in March of 1741, Steller met Danish navigator and explorer Vitus Johansson Bering, captain of the ship St. Peter, one of the two vessels that was assigned to the ex- expedition. The other was the St. Paul. So the two ships on this expedition are the St. Peter and the St. Paul. Now that June, St. Peter and St. Paul set sail for North America. The ships were later separated by a storm, which that's got to be scary. You're in this convoy oh, yeah. going across the a storm hits and now you're separated from everybody else in your party. You're down to, you know, 0.5. That would worry me tremendously. Mm -hmm. Now, while the crew of the St. Paul went on to discover several Aleutian islands, the crew of the St. Peter sighted a mountain range on mainland Alaska. In late summer 1741, the St. Peter was anchored off the coast of an island in the Gulf of Alaska. Presumably, they say, Around Kayak Island is where they assume this was, and Stellar ventured ashore. He was one of the first Europeans to step foot on Alaskan soil. That's a cool thing to have yeah. a cool feather in your cap. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in early November, with Bering and many crew members suffering from scurvy and with sailing conditions growing treacherous, they dropped anchor near the shores of a desolate Aleutian Island, which... Um, is now known as Bering Island, which makes sense. Captain Bering, he moored up here at this island. They, they now named it there uh, where they would pass the winter. Um, so it's named after him because he landed there and, and passed away, whatever. No, it's like the, the Bering Strait and yep, all that up. Exactly. Um, strong winds later wrecked the anchored ship and Bering ended up dying from his illness 
which is how it kind of got its name. Now, Steller and his shipmates eventually constructed a small boat from the wreckage of the St. Peter and left the island, returning safely to Kamchatka in 1742. Now, four years later, Steller died in uh, Tiamen, Siberia, on his return overland, uh, return overland journey to St. Petersburg. Now, despite the difficulties of the expedition, Steller managed to bring back to Kamchatka a small collection of specimens from the island he visited, among which was the palate bone of a sea cow and several different species of birds, including a species of jay that was later named Steller's jay. So yep. when we first started talking about this, Matt, you remember I said, why is this guy got so many things named after him. You know, yeah, he he was the first European to catch sight of this J or whatever, but you got to come up with a better name than the Stellar's J, the Stellar's Sea Cow, the Stellar's Sea Ape, the Stellar's Rectal Monkey. I don't know. It just... <laughs> well, he just wasn't very creative in coming up with his names, but... He he did he did give things other other names. Sure, yeah. Um, like he 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 named them with with scientific names, um, that he knew and understood, um, based on other known species that had been given scientific names. Stellaris stellari. Yeah. <laughs> I just made that one up, but. Oh, man. (laughs) Now, he recorded his observations of the fauna on and around the islands in The Beast of the Sea, which was published in 1751. I think that would be a cool book to have. Uh, If I can ever find a copy of that, it's going in my book collection. Uh, The Beast of the Sea by Wilhelm Steller. Now, in that work, Steller detailed the dissection by himself and his crewmates of a female sea cow on the shore of Bering Island. He also recounted his observations of sea lions, sea otters, and northern fur seals. In addition to the sea cow and the Steller's jay, many of the other animals that Steller collected or described were later named for him. But... The, the the sea cow that we were talking about, he records the dissection of it. He brought back a pallet bone from it. Now, if he'd have known the sea cow was about to become extinct 30 years later, maybe he wouldn't have done the, the dissection of it, but he did. So that, yeah. that's proof of the existence of this giant arctic sea cow Mm -hmm. and he he was able to do that because there was a lot of them at the time well maybe not a lot of them but they were they they were fairly plentiful at the time and he was able to get a hold of one so keep that in mind when matt starts taking his side of the episode because if he was able to do that with the ape maybe we wouldn't be doing this episode right now we need to look at the Shumagan Islands in Alaska and the Aleutian Islands because this is the area where 
Stellar was and where he witnessed the sea ape. So we need to kind of look at this area. Now, it was named by Captain Commander Vitus Bering, Imperial Russian Navy, so the IRN, for one of his sailors who died of scurvy and was buried here on August 30th of 1741. Now, Father Vania Minov reported the Alut name was Kagigan, and Golovin said the Aluts called the islands Unga for the name of the largest one of the group. The name was published in French as Schumagen, so C-H-O-U-M-A-G-I-N. And then it was changed to Schumagen, S-H-U-M-A-G-I-N, Schumagen Islands, by Admiral um, Krusenstern of the Imperial Russian Navy. So that's where the Schumagens got its name. Now, the Schumagen Islands are a group of 20 islands in the Aleutians East Borough, south of the mainland of Alaska. So the Aleutian Islands is a chain of small islands that separate the Bering Sea, which is north, from the main portion of the Pacific Ocean south of it. Now, they extend in an arc southwest, then northwest, for about 1,100 miles or 1,800 kilometers from the tip of the Alaskan Peninsula to Atu Island, Alaska. The Aleutians occupy a total area of 6,821 square miles. The Aleutian Islands form a segment of the circumpacific chain of volcanoes, which is often called the Ring of Fire, and they represent a partially submerged continuation of Alaskans, Alaska's Aleutian range. So I saw a IMAX movie back in the day about the Ring of Fire. Oh, yeah. Uh, where they had basically a helicopter flying through it and you got to see all the volcanoes and stuff. And I don't talk much about the volcanoes in my notes, but just know that most of these islands, they were formed by volcanic activity. And the mountain range, the Aleutian mountain range running through Alaska, it is basically part of the Aleutian Islands, but it continues off of the mainland and just forms these little islands. So Mm -hmm. if you're able to look below the sea, you'd basically be sitting on top of a giant mountain. Mountain, yeah. So now the shores are rocky and they're worn off by the surf and the approaches to these islands are pretty dangerous. Now, most places, the land rises abruptly from the coast to steep, bold mountains. So the main navigational lanes through the chain are the Unamak, the Unmak, I'm sorry, the Umnak, the Amutka, and the Seguam passes. Butchered those, but you get the idea. <laughs> um, the archipelago's climate. And this this is this is something to um, really pay attention to. If you've checked out by all of my mispronunciations, come back to us um, and, and pay attention to this climate and the the rest of the notes here because it ties in directly to Matt stuff. Now the climate here is characterized by a fairly uniform temperature throughout the year, but it has high winds and a lot of precipitation, mostly rainfall, maybe a little bit of snow in the winter months, but mostly rainfall. And there's a persistent fog 
that just stays over the area. Yeah. Um, now, the Aleutians are practically devoid of trees, but are covered with a what they call a luxurious growth of grasses, sedges, and many flowering plants. So you don't have big trees like you would in, say, Tennessee there, where, where you're at. They, they don't have a ton of trees in the mountains. It's more like the grasslands, savannas, and stuff like that. Now, in June of 1942, during World War II, Japanese troops invaded and occupied Atu and Kiska Islands. Preparations by U.S. forces to oust the Japanese began shortly thereafter. Atu was retaken after a short but bloody battle in May of 1943. However, the Japanese evacuated Kiska before the U.S. troops could land there in August. So they just said, nope, peace, out, and they left. (laughs) Probably wasn't worth them trying to hold, you know. Um, Now, stretched across the ocean between two continents, the, the Aleutians are an important habitat for birds. The islands are part of the Alaska Maritime National Wildlife Refuge, the largest refuge in the United States. More seabirds nest in the Alaska Maritimes than anywhere else in North America. The islands are also an important stopping point for migrating birds. Some 90 species of Asian birds have been spotted in the area, and one species, the shearwater, migrates from the southern hemisphere all the way up to the Aleutian Islands. Now, several unique bird species are native to the islands, including the Aleutian cackling goose and six subspecies of rock ptarmigan. The Aleutian Islands ecosystem supports a rich diversity of species found in few other places in the world. So this is important. Such intense biodiversity, more typically associated with tropical rainforest or coral reefs, is especially rare in such high latitudes. The convergence of seas, storms, and volcanoes create this environment that supports such high biodiversity. Now, NOAA, uh, the NOAA fisheries scientists, continue to discover new species of fish and invertebrates in the Aleutians. Some Aleutian species show promise in medicine, including a potential treatment for cancer. Now, whales, porpoises, sea otters, seals, sea lions, and seabirds live and feed in the Aleutian ecosystem. Some islands are important rookeries for seals and sea lions. Passages between islands are critical migration routes for endangered whales. So not only great diversity, but a great abundance of life thrives in the seas surrounding the Aleutian Islands. So that's pretty important for the Mm -hmm. rest of this episode. These islands are an amazing biodiverse habitat with a ton of species living there. Like they said, it's more akin to a tropical rainforest in the biodiversity. But it's so far out there, very few people spend a lot of time out there. So the scientists. Yeah, even now. So the NOAA people that go out there, the scientists from the NOAA fisheries, they're still finding new species of fish and invertebrates out there to this day. Yeah. So that, to me, that's a key point to what you're about to talk about. Mm-hmm. So as as Adam said, you, you've got a really good history now of 
what it's like in the Aleutian Islands as far as, you know, the, the, the primary wildlife that's around there. It is. It's very diverse and it, it's very limited. It, it's had limited exploration and right. investigation. Right. But, but Stellar, I mean, and understand, you know, Stellar and his contemporaries are the reason that we understand a lot um, about a lot of the animals that either are endangered now or have become extinct because mm-hmm. they took the time to describe these things, to illustrate these things and, and understand they, they didn't just go, Oh, Hey, I saw this bird and it was blue and it had some feathers and I watched it eat some nuts and some worms. <laughs> no, I mean, they observe these things and, and they include every possible detail from not just the color of, of the fur, but they talk about how coarse it was, how sparse it was, wh- where it was. Um, you know, they, they talk about behavior and mating if they have the opportunity to see it. I mean, they really tried to investigate all the aspects of, of these creatures so that they could document it for other scientists, for other naturalists. And so these works, we, we owe a lot to these, these naturalists that did this. People, I mean, you know, if you're, if you're trying to think of a modern day, think of Autobahn. Um, I mean, we have resources upon resources of different species of birds because of the work that people like Autobahn have done, Stellar yeah. fits in that category. Okay. Hi, I'm Karina Bemisterfer, host of Morning Cup of Murder, your daily true crime podcast. Yes, you heard me right. Daily true crime. Every day, Morning Cup of Murder tells you a straightforward, short form story about murder, true crime, cold cases, disappearances, serial killers, cults, and more. And I do that all in under 15 minutes. With over three years of stories and over 20 million downloads, the Morning Cup of Murder podcast has become a staple of so many people's daily routines. So why not add it to yours? Stream Morning Cup of Murder everywhere you listen to podcasts. And remember, stay safe. Now, getting into the, the topic at hand, the, the stellar sea ape, he had described numerous animals on this trip, this being one of them. But it's also been the most fascinating because it's the one that nobody else has been able to find. Right. Now, the story has lasted a long time, and he describes this in, in his book, you know, The Beasts of the Sea. And this is what he says. On August 10th, we saw a very unusual and unknown sea animal, of which I'm going to give a brief account, since I observed it for two whole hours. It was about two Russian L's in length, which is about five feet long. The head was like a dog's with pointed, erect ears. From the upper and lower lips on both sides, whiskers hung down. The eyes were large, the body was long, rather thick and round, 
tapering gradually towards the tail. The skin seemed thickly covered with hair of a gray color on the back, but reddish white on the belly. In the water, however, the whole animal appeared to be red like a cow. The tail was divided into two fins, of which the upper, as in the case of roosters, was twice as large as the lower. Nothing struck me as more surprising than the fact that neither forefeet nor in their stead fins were to be seen. For over two hours, it swam around our ship, looking, as with admiration, first at one and then at the other of us. Keep at two time, hours in mind. Yeah, two hours. At times, it came so near to the ship that it could have been touched with a pole. But as soon as anybody stirred, it moved away a little further. It could raise itself one-third of, it, of its length out of the water, exactly like a man. And it, sometimes it remained in this position for several minutes. After it had observed us for about half an hour, it shot like an arrow under our vessel and came up again on the other side. Shortly after, it dived again and reappeared in the old place. And in this way, it dived perhaps 30 times. There drifted by a seaweed, club-shaped and hollow at one end like a bottle, and gradually taping at the other end, toward which, as soon as it was sighted, the animal darted, seized it in its mouth, and swam with it to the ship, making such motions and monkey tricks that nothing more laughable can be imagined. After many funny jumps and motions, it finally darted off to sea and did not appear again. It was seen later, however, however, several times at different places of the sea. So, drawing this out, you've essentially got a, a furry seal with a dog-shaped head and and ears like a dog, mm-hmm. pointed ears, okay? Now, it's important to emphasize here that there is no known animal in the sea, or for that matter, on land, that corresponds to Stellar's description. Now, according to the cryptozoologist Roy Mackle, Uh, Some thought that Stellar had seen some known sea creatures, such as a sea otter or a fur seal. Yet, as a naturalist of note, uh, and like I said, he was very well respected, who identified several species of North American plants and animals, Stellar was a skilled observer, and he had an excellent opportunity to see this animal for two hours. Although, the close-up experiences that he had seemed to be brief, But still, two hours, he was able to observe and describe this creature, you know, how it looked, how it behaved, its playfulness, and so forth. Now, he initially named it Semina Marina Danica. That's a similar description from uh, another 16th century document. Semina Marina hasn't had any notable sightings since. And in Stellar's account, probably largely due to his reputation as a naturalist, the sea ape continues to endure in 
the the documents of cryptozoology. So it it's still it's still present in cryptozoological uh, uh, documents and books. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's and then this goes on. This article went on to say it's not as popular as say Bigfoot or Loch Ness. <laughs> um, but it, nonetheless, as important as those, and in my opinion, even more so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it, it, with what we're going to get into, it shows that this was most likely another species of, of seal or something that had not yet been documented. Right. Let's see. Um, okay. All of these explanations, they're good, but they don't exactly fit, you know, sea otter, Maybe it was another sea cow. Um, But Stellar's notes indicate that, like I said, he spent two hours with this thing and he was in close proximity to the sea ape and he watched it feed and play around the boat. He even attempted twice to shoot it. And again, you're like, why the hell would he shoot it? Well, he explained that he attempted to shoot it because he wanted to be able to collect it so he could study it more. Right. Um, you know, he wasn't thinking he might be killing the last one or the last one of the last few. Mm-hmm. He was thinking we need to be able to study this animal and determine what exactly it is. Because in his eye, it was something that wasn't like anything else he had described. Okay? So it wasn't like the the sea cow. You know, it wasn't like a sea otter and it wasn't like a seal that he knew. Because he had described all those things. Right. So why why would he misidentify it? This was his deal. This was his his gig, man. He did this for a living. And he was good. He was mm-hmm. really good. So he's not just going to mistake something that he's already done descriptions of multiple times. And and go, whoa, 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 this is something totally different. Are you sure? Right. Are you sure, Stellar? You know, you just described this thing two weeks ago. No, he yeah. knew. He knew that this was something different. Yeah. He. I mean, it, it's not like some amateur dude just hanging out and seeing right. something. This I mean, wasn't you or I sitting exactly. on a boat going, hey, look at that. Exactly. Yeah, hey, it's, that, it's a, that thing it's a looks dummy. weird. Let's shoot it. <laughs> no, let's not shoot it. That's an elephant seal. It's got a big old nose. That's something new. <laughs> Never seen one of those. Look at that proboscis on them. <laughs> it's giant, fat, stellar sea mosquito. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you naming it the Stellars? Everything's named Stellars. Yeah. I thought that's what you did. What if what if he didn't name it that because it was his name? What if he named it that because it was great? It was oh, a stellar yeah. sea cow. He's like, this is stellar, man. <laughs> if it, this as an aside, if you really want to see if if you're into animal photography, if you if you enjoy looking at pictures of animals that you don't typically get to see, look up the animals that Stellar has described that have been documented. Um like the stellar sea eagle. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm telling why why has nobody used this as a mascot for some type of sports team? I mean, it's I mean, uh, it, it's as cool looking as a bald eagle is. Yeah, no I kidding. I mean, it is it is cool. It's and mean looking. <laughs> it is. It's a it's a perfect look. I say this next se- next season somebody's going to be like, "We're changing our name to the Sea Eagles." Mhm. Okay, great. Be the the uh Houston Sea Eagles. <laughs> Man. <laughs> I'm if if the NFL ever moves to Alaska, then that's then then Sea Eagle needs to be their thing. Uh, yeah. But they they'll probably do something more like uh, you know, icebergs. They'll, they'll be like <laughs> <laughs> the icebergs, the the meese. Yeah, <laughs> is it meese or mooses? <laughs> I think it's moose eye. <laughs> oh, anyway, we digress. But you think about this. So, if Stellar's description was accurate, and no other animal matches this description, did he see a previously unknown species? So. If so, let's let's look at the animals that at least resemble his description. Okay, if it's not exact, at least comes close. And that namely is the fur seal. I'm saying fur, F U R fur seal. Not now, not like it's a fur piece away. Yeah, it's fur it's fur away. So why would Stellar not have recognized a fur seal? They they were very common. Um and his his biographer insists that at the time he had made his observation, he had never seen a fur seal dead or alive. Now I don't know how he knows that, but you know, the 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 person that wrote the de facto biography for Stellar um, said that he had not ever seen a fur seal, hmm. making you think, well, maybe he did. But I'm not. I'm not so sure. I mean, they weren't like rare. Yeah. But his biographer, you know, Steinegger, uh, believes that Stellar saw a full-grown male fur seal. But in two respects, size and coloring, adult. Male fur seals are not like his description at all. Stellar's uh, the another biographer, Dean Littlepage, um, tweaked, what a name! Yeah, I know. <laughs> he tweaked the identification to suggest that maybe it was a juvenile fur seal. Mm. Okay, but still, not exactly. But the female fur seal is an excellent match. The female has different coloring than the male. The male is black on its upper side and gray across its shoulders with reddish fur underneath. But in contrast, the female has coloring like Stellar's creature, which had a gray color on the back, but reddish white on the belly. And the female northern fur seal similarly has gray above and reddish below. And the male is typically much larger than Stellar's creature, which the male fur seal measures to about uh, between six and seven feet. But the female is more in the range of 
maybe four to five feet, which is closer to the creature that Stellar described. Right. Now, it doesn't matter female or male, both would have had the other features uh, that Stellar described, like the dog-like head, the drooping whiskers, large eyes. Now, the, the fur seal's ears are pointed, but they don't really stand erect. Like, they don't look like a Doberman's ears. Right. But they are, they are pointed in shape. But they're actually directed backwards. So it's a little bit different there. Um, and Stellar did, in fact, describe those of an actual fur seal using the very same descriptors. So when Stellar does his description of the fur seal, the ears are very similar to that that he describes as the sea ape. Okay. Um, so even though as we look now, we see that the ears are different. Who's to say that 300 years ago, the male or the female fur seal did not have erect standing pointy ears. Right. And they've just evolved away. 300 years is plenty of time for an animal to evolve to something like the, the way their ears are shaped. Right. Yeah. It, it's not a huge genetic change. Right. It, it's a, a, a more minor change that could happen in a few hundred years. And who knows? Maybe, maybe they, maybe they were, they were also, uh, widely hunted. Um, you know, possibly they had another natural predator. Maybe they developed this to develop better hearing for, you know, approaching danger. Who mm -hmm. knows? Who knows? And I'm, you know, trust me, I'm no biologist, but, you know, it, it, that makes sense to me. There's there's probably people that are biologists going, this idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I just possible. give you I just give you more to think about. Um but but there is there is a key difference here that is always the sticking point when cryptozoologists discuss stellar C8. It's the missing, quote unquote, missing forelimbs. Now, the absence of either legs or fins or whatever on the front that 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 is the one thing people have gotten hung up on because a seal or a sea cow or any of those would at least have some type of forefin okay yeah that's but the, true. the the way this thing was able to swim and come up out of the water it doesn't seem reasonable that it didn't have them. Okay. And he doesn't say that it didn't have them. He says that they were not seen. So the idea is, is that maybe th this, this particular creature ha holds their four fins or four limbs up against its body when it swims. And, that's not just a guess, okay? There are there are species of seal like the leopard seal that holds its fins against its body when it swims. It makes it more 
um, aerodynamic in the water. But the problem is, is that leopard seals live in the southern hemisphere. So they don't live in the icy waters. But it has even been speculated that, well, maybe at that time, maybe there was a species of leopard seal in the in the northern icy region that that's where they did. That's where they did live. Think about yeah. the sea cow that we just right. talked about. There's a, a lot of proof for that existing in a colder climate when mm-hmm. now we only have them in southern, more tropical waters. Yeah. And that was only a, a few hundred years ago. Yeah. So d- don't think it's too far outside the realm of possibility for there to be a type of fur seal, like Matt is saying, up mm-hmm. there that we only see in the southern hemisphere now. Yeah. And when we're talking about the northern fur seal, the position of the four limbs on that particular seal is further back. Okay. Um, so they're, they're not up front. Like you see in, in some, like the seals and the walruses that have those front fins and they can clap and do all this stuff. The Northern fur seal doesn't have them positioned there. They're further back along its body. Okay. So there's a really good chance that you just, you don't notice them. Right. You didn't see them, even in the two hours uh, Stellar had to observe this animal. So they think, surely that was how this creature was able to raise a third of itself upright out of the water for a few minutes. Because it was obviously treading water with these four fins that were further back on its body so that a third of it popped up without you actually seeing those fins. Yeah. Now, so the identification of the creature as a northern fur seal helps explain more about Stellar's description, and that's the tail divided into two fins. Okay? So he describes that tail as being like a rooster, where the, the top fin was much larger than the bottom one. And and there are species of fish that have that alignment too. You know, I was like going to say there's sharks too that sharks, have that. Um, you know, mackerel. You know, they have that shape where there's a much larger, longer top fin and on the tail, and then the bottom one is significantly shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's not something that's unheard of. Um, it's just it's not a trait that seals have. Um, but some believe that this was a misperception that if you were looking at, at a seal in the water and you weren't able to ever see this thing come out of the water and get on land, it could possibly be that the first seal having these, these little short rear legs, um, like flippers that, they were in a position where they were divided. Like it was doing some kind of, some kind of herky jump, you know, like, like jumping over a hurdle. One's one's kind of up front and then one's to the back. And 
in that, you know, looking at it through the water, it may look like a divided tail fin instead of two legs that were just kind of spread apart. Since a seal's legs, you know, are like flippers. Right. Well, and that, to me, that kind of makes sense. I was like, okay, I can, I can kind of see where that, from a boat looking down in the water, where that could give that appearance. But again, we're talking about a person who had described um, not only a lot of other animals, he had described a fur seal. So he knew the difference. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. So I think even without these these other aspects of his description um, not fitting, I, I still, it still feels like he saw a, a, a related species, but not the same. Right. You know, it just, it just makes sense. So I went and I looked. Sightings of Stellar C8. And I found one. A whole big one. One. I, I couldn't believe it. I messaged Adam and I said, there's only one other sighting of this thing. And it and I, came, I knew there was only a few, but I had no idea it was only one. <laughs> it's just one documented sighting. Like my obsession with cryptozoology, <laughs> I knew this wasn't a very commonly seen thing, but I could have sworn there was more than Stellar and one other person, but obviously not. Not for this one. At least not that I could find. Um, and, and, you know, we had even talked about looking at, you know, maybe... Um, historical documents for the yeah uh the indigenous people of the, the Aleutian Islands yeah. and, and all that nope. nope. They probably but, just they if they had it, they probably just hunted it and ate it. Well I was gonna say to them, if my theory that I'll get into a little bit later is correct, it wasn't anything crazy to them. So it right. wasn't you know, they just they probably classified it as a seal. We ate hunted and ate seal today or whatever. It wasn't like the Native Americans that saw Bigfoot. They knew that wasn't a common creature. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's why we don't have a lot of historical sightings, you know? Yeah, it's possible. Um, but in June of 1965, um, on, on his, on his, on his catch, a sailor named Miles Smeaton, his daughter Cleo, and his friend Henry Combe reportedly saw a similar creature on the northern coast of Atka Island. Now, they reported the creature as being about five feet long, uh, having four to five inch reddish yellow fur, and a face resembling that of the dog breed Shih Tzu. Now, Mr. Smeaton details this encounter as lasting about 10 to 15 seconds in his book, uh, Misty Island. And he notes that Stellar's observations closely matched his own. So, you know, we've, we've got a, a, a sighting within the last hundred years of something that resembled it, um, which kind of led me to think, Maybe this was an animal that, much like Stellar Sea Cow, was hunted to near extinction. Mm -hmm. um, 
Or, you know, this is just a, a variation of the northern fur seal that uh, Smeaton saw that was very similar to what uh, Stellar saw. Maybe not the exact same thing, but very, very similar Right. I mean, if I, well, you think about it, if, if I got, well, Shih Tzus, okay. Since it looked, it, the face looked like a Shih Tzu. If I, if I got 50 Shih Tzus, purebred Shih Tzus, and I put them all in a room, there's going to be numerous differences between all of these animals, even though they're all the exact same breed. Well, you know, and to throw in there if you've got a shit zoo yorkie mix and you throw that in there the genetics are mixed yet it may look more like a shit zoo than a yorkie yeah it's still gonna be different mm-hmm. slightly different so yeah. you know just just on on your point maybe if this creature was a mixed breed of what the stellar sea ape and something else right why not you know, why not? We've we've seen it in nature before, you know, without mm-hmm. any kind of humor, human, <laughs> any kind of human intervention where these animals have crossbred and actually created a different. I mean, you know, that's where we get Z donks and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, so it, it, it makes sense to me that this could be just one of those type variations. Right. Um. But, you know, when using the dog analogy, my parents, uh, when I was in college, they had uh, they had two dogs and they both of these dogs were multi poos, a Maltese poodle mix. And when you looked at these dogs and you said. They're the same breed, people looked at you like, what? (laughs) Yeah, because they were not from the same litter. Um they were both uh they were related in some fashion but um one of them well they they favored the mother yeah and so if the poo if the mother was a poodle the puppies looked more like poodles and if the mother was the maltese they looked more like the maltese so andy was reddish colored and had long legs was much taller, looked like a a smaller standard poodle, had the right. curly hair. Um, Barney, yep, my parents had dogs named Andy and Barney. <laughs> and you know, all you Andy Griffith fans, yep. that's where that came from. Um, he was short. He was black and gray. He had long, shaggy fur. He had the little smushed-in face. He looked like a Maltese. Yep. And they were the same breed of dog. A Maltese poodle mix. Just the genetics. Genetics of one were stronger. It's stronger in one and weaker in the other one. Yeah, yeah. So you know, there's another explanation for what, but what Stellar possibly saw. Right. And one of the one of the theories you and I were talking about before we started. To me, and and. I think we both kind of may land on this theory, but if you take the the sea cow and you say, okay, this is 
this was an ancient animal that had relic populations living into, quote, modern times, the 1700s, but then died off 30 years later because it was hunted to extinction by the Aleuts and others in the area. Why do we not say the same thing about the sea ape? This could be an ancient population that Stellar just found the last remnant of. Right, and yeah. Like, like we were saying that if, if he had went there maybe 50 years prior, he would have seen a whole gaggle of them. 50 years later, he may not have seen any of them. Right. So people put it in the realm of this is not a real creature only because we don't have hard scientific proof of it. Yeah. Yet in the same area, they say we've got great biodiversity. They, they know the stellar sea cow was real and it Mm -hmm. was seen about the same time, but we relegate the sea ape to mythical creature and we don't the sea cow. I, to me, it's doing an injustice, A, to Stellar, mm-hmm. and B, to the sea ape, whatever it may be. Right. It could be, like your theory, I think you were saying, it could be like a a leopard seal, a northern leopard seal. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it was like a leopard seal. It was larger, like the sea cow was larger than a dugong. It mm-hmm. was climatized to cold water. And maybe the reason that it was so, quote, playful with Stellar is because it didn't have a lot of human interaction. We know, I mean, that's why the dodo went extinct. They didn't know about humans. They didn't know humans were danger. So people could just walk up and grab them and wring Mm -hmm. their neck like you would a chicken. They didn't know to be afraid. So what if this was the same way and the Aleuts and the native people of the area considered it just another food animal and ended up hunting it to extinction shortly before Stellar got there and he caught maybe the last the last one or maybe at the time there were 30 40 of them but yeah. that's not going to hold a population for hundreds of years 30 40 right. of them you'll die out quickly mm-hmm. so and my opinion is that this is not a mythical creature. This no. is a legitimate creature that he just happened to get lucky enough to see the last one of yeah, and documented it. And then today you got a bunch of people going, Oh no, that could not exist. He was mistaken. He said that it was this, but it had to have been, this type of seal, and he's just a dummy. So you you agree with him on everything else, but <laughs> yeah, this one thing you're like, no, he just misidentified this one thing. Yeah, and, and you got to remember, Stellar he doesn't he, he he doesn't describe this as any kind of mythical creature or all that strange. Right, his job is to describe the creatures and the animals that he sees. He saw this one. It was different than anything else he had described. So he described it. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he documented what he saw. 
So he he wasn't trying to fool anybody. He wasn't trying to um he wasn't any cryptozoologist. You know, he was just describing what he saw. But there is some speculation as to how serious he really was about the sea ape. I, I think it would be humorous if Stellar was around today to see people talk about what he saw. He may be like going, you people are nuts. Yeah, you know? right. Right. Oh, I just I saw some some type of seal that looked a lot different than any other seal I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, you know, you you guys are, you know, talking about, you know, some kind of, you know, weird, you know, magic creature like a like a unicorn or a mermaid. And right. and and he wasn't. So, you know, we've talked about what what it possibly was and and we've we've kind of pieced it together through the descriptions that Stellar left in his notes. Um, and, and what's funny is he saw it only about three months before the voyage ended and, and it ended pretty catastrophically. You know, the, the ship crashed and the right. majority of the crew, including captain Baring, died mm-hmm. and, and stellar made it along with a small faction of the crew who, when the weather began to warm up, were actually able to fashion a little small craft out of the parts left from the St. Peter. Yeah. You know, so they, they essentially salvaged what was what they could from the St. Peter and just made it a little smaller boat. And so they could, you know, get off of this island they were stuck on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there is some evidence in the writings that Stellar and Captain Baring weren't the closest of friends. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, here's here's this grizzled sea captain bearing, and you know, he's you know, duh, duh, duh. I get this image of like, you know, the the old sea captain with the, the hat and the pipe and the big beard <laughs> and you know, it was gruff, you know. Uh and here comes Stellar, which if you've seen a picture of 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 Stellar, he looks like um, he looks like an English fop. If yeah. you if you know that you know longer hair, curly, you know the knickers and things like that. You know, so here's this guy who's he agreed to let come aboard his ship, and all he wants to do is get to shore and look look at these animals. I would imagine that was outside of what Bering's true agenda was. So if they didn't like one another, maybe, just maybe, um, the whiskers that hung down from the sea ape's face bore a striking likeness to the heavy chops favored by Captain Baring. And maybe desperate to get to, back to land, Stellar even fantasized about taking a few shots at uh, this captain that what that wasn't on the same page with him, um, it's it's absence from its official report suggests that Stellar himself didn't take the sea ape seriously. He was stranded for months on a frozen island. So did a bitter Stellar choose to immortalize his hatred for the captain in his descriptions? <laughs> The most compelling evidence for this uh, is in the name 
the sea ape. He didn't name it Simina Marina, which literally means sea ape. But Simina Marina Danica, the Danish sea ape. Oh, and yeah. what, what was Captain Baring? He was Danish. Yeah. <laughs> that was the only Dane on the St. Peter. Vitus Bering. Well, there you go. <laughs> Which I included that because I thought that that is really funny. That is funny. That they have theorized that maybe the sea ape was actually just a a, a jab at Captain Bering <laughs> because they they didn't always see eye to eye. Um, yeah, maybe. But, you know, there's a there's a tendency to forget when when looking at natural history, uh, especially during these these early days of exploration that these great scientific endeavors were actually conducted by people. Okay. And relationships have as much, if not more impact on the success or failure of a voyage than the scientific expertise of the people there. Um, I mean, as Stellar's expedition into the uncharted Arctic uh, turned into this just ice-filled slog just dragging through. Maybe he did turn to a little humor and blame the captain for their misfortune by <laughs> describing, you know, this, this sea ape, you know, as the captain. Who knows? I think it's a funny, I don't think that's what happened, but I do, I do no, think but it's, it's humorous to look at it that way. It is funny, and it's funny that people have thought that. Yeah. You know, that that. Yeah. They're like, oh, this isn't real. This is him making fun of the captain. Yeah. But, I, I, you know, I'm you with You could Adam, have said I, the, the sea jackass then if the, you were going to go. <laughs> you see that sea jackass over there? Well, but you think about it, though. There was really no reason for him to call it the Danish sea ape at all. Right. I mean, and or maybe it, he did it because Cap, the captain was Danish. And it was maybe out of respect, um, you know, because he was there and he was the captain and he was the one that was leading this expedition. So maybe so. Maybe that's why he added the Danica to it. Who knows? Who knows? But I, I believe this. And I think, you know, Adam has said, you know, that that's kind of where we fall is this was a real this was a real thing, uh, possibly um, a variation of of a type of seal that. Stellar had not seen very possibly something that was also widely hunted by the indigenous uh, people of the Aleutian Islands. And to them, it was just another creature that they were used to seeing and they knew they could hunt it and they knew they could eat it. Yep. Um, much like the sea cow. And yeah, quite possibly it, you know, it was either hunted to extinction or near extinction and only a few, uh, you know, were around when Stellar saw this one, or or only a few lived for uh for Meaton to actually see one or see something very similar to that, right? Um, but the, I think the the real thing, and I know this this sounds like okay, Graveyard Tales has gone on this tangent, and we're now like we're the science show. If you take away nothing else from this episode, Adam Nye, the science guy, <laughs> take that. Yes, take, take that's that. It. This, the um, song. No, take take this away. 
we're, we're talking about an animal that we can't prove existed today, but we have documented evidence that it did exist at one time. Mm-hmm. We, th- we know that for a lot of animals. Why is it so difficult for the science community to look at cryptozoology and at least take it more seriously than they do. Right. Right. I mean, I get it. You know, when you talk about cryptozoology, everybody begins to immediately go to Bigfoot and Loch Ness and, and their legends have gotten way larger than those creatures could ever have been. Uh, But we have talked about cryptids on this show that in reality probably either did or do exist and stay away from humans and live in remote areas where humans don't go. And when they do, the likelihood that they're going to come across one is very small. And we've talked about that in Africa. We've talked about it in Vietnam. Now we're talking about it in Alaska. Um, it's not out of the question that so many of these strange creatures that people have claimed to have seen really do exist. Right. So and that that's, in, that's the thing. That's the one thing I would want you to take away from this. Right. And keep in mind, um, cryptozoology was not intended to be a woo-woo topic. Right. It's been transformed into that, but cryptozoology simply means the study of hidden animals. Mm-hmm. So yeah. hidden doesn't mean magical unicorn. You know, hidden just, it means one that we don't have uh, scientific evidence for. So the the mountain gorilla was a cryptid for many years because there was only stories of it. And so was the giant squid. Right. And the colossal squid. Right. And, and we have, you know, w- within our lifetime discovered both. Yep. Yep. So, you know, let us know what you think. Um, you know, this is, I, I think the stellar sea ape, uh, is is a pretty fascinating animal uh in how the the stories of it have endured for so long but i do think it was real and stellar had no intention of it becoming something of legend Uh, he was just describing an actual animal that he that he saw um but what do you guys think you know the and not just about stellars what do you think about this do you think yeah this is just more evidence that we got to keep looking for these these species. You know, wh- you never know what we're going to come across. So we've got to keep looking, and we've got to take it a, a little more seriously. It, it yep. cryptozoology does not have to be, you know, a fringe science. Um, you know, it can be, you know, a primary science because we find new species all the time. Mm-hmm. So any species that we thought might exist, 
and then we later discovered that it does was a cryptid. Yep. Yep. So let us know. Let us know what you think. And um, the best place to do that is in our Facebook group. It is called The Graveyard. We have thousands of members in there. It is extraordinarily active. It is a safe place for you to come and share your your thoughts and ideas and personal experiences. Nobody's going to make fun of you. We just want to hear these fantastic stories. Um, you know, what, whatever. Did you grow up in a haunted house? Have you seen a cryptid? Um, you know, did you have some kind of really, really strange psychic experience or something? Let us know about it. Okay. And when you're done there, you can slide over to our website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. And there you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show and you can become a patron, which Adam mentioned at the top of the show. Thank you to everyone who has taken the time uh, to donate and support the work that Adam and I do. So until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.